You're listening to a podcast from City Tribe Media. We're an urban tribe who helps people who feel far from God to know Jesus, cultivate freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference. We're also a diverse tribe who welcomes everyone from bikers to bankers, PhDs to GEDs, every age, race, and walk of life. So whether you're a longtime Christ follower or a spiritual investigator, we hope you're encouraged through our content. Enjoy today's teaching. Outstanding. As mentioned, my name's Lee. I'm one of your tribe teachers, and today we are going to continue to explore how you and I might receive fresh revelation, fresh inspiration from our Heavenly Father, and we're going to see how it's His delight, it's His good pleasure in order to reveal to us His truth and His affection. And the reason we keep, one of the many reasons we keep circling back to this topic is because of a Hebrew word that really describes and captures what many in our tribe today and all around the world are experiencing. In fact, prominent sociologists and prominent psychologists, they have dubbed the last two years as uh, being defined by this word. The years 2020 and 2021, they really describe the condition and the emotion that we are experiencing. And those of you who have ever watched or followed along with that great theological commentary from the 90s, you know, the, uh, the Simpsons, then you guys will have known this word. Now, Simpsons fans, all right. Whenever one of the characters feels lethargic, they're uninterested, they're unenthused by something, they shrug their shoulders, and what do they say? Anybody? Meh. Meh. Y'all know meh. Meh is when you're not quite depressed in life, but you're also kind of like this guy, right? You're feeling a little bit unmotivated and you're lethargic. You're a little bit lazy and that's meh. And meh is really the feeling that we get whenever we're just going through the motions of a mundane and monotonous kind of life. We're purposeless. We're passionless. That's meh. So Meh is this overall feeling of laziness and a lack of interest in life. The actual term that uh, sociologists and psychologists use is languish. Anybody know somebody right now who is languishing or maybe like me, anybody feel from time to time, meh? If so, let me hear a collective meh from you guys. All right. So those of you who just said meh, all right. Our conversation today, the reason why it's so important is because meh is a silent mental health condition. And right now, research shows that it is even more prominent than uh, major depression. And so for those of us who currently feel meh or eventually feel languish and we have a chronic season of that, well, over the next few years, we are more likely to experience an episode of major depression, anxiety, and panic attacks. And so we have got to nip meh in the bud today, all right? And so what we're going to do over these next few moments is is, is explore the scriptures to identify how you and I might receive inspiration and revelation from our heavenly father. And those of you who right now, your life is going pretty well. You're like, ah, you know, I, I can't identify with this mess stuff. I at least care enough to equip you to help your friends, your family members, your coworkers to move out of that season. Or should the day ever come where you feel languish, I want to equip you to make sure that you can navigate out of it quickly. All right. So those of you who plan to follow along in the scriptures, we are going to be in the biography about Jesus written by Luke in the 17th and 18th sections. That is join me with your digital or physical Bibles in the gospel of Luke chapter 17 and 18. 
And so, as always, before we jump into our teaching today, let's pray and invite God by his spirit to speak to us so that we can move from meh to feeling motivated. Would you pray with me? Father, we, as always, come before you and we just ask that you would help calm our hearts and our minds and drown out whatever distractions we may have come in here with. Help us hear clearly whatever it is you want to say to us. Give us a word, a memory, a picture, an impression, a phrase, a color, something, Lord, to speak to us so that we are transformed. And as always, Lord, with me, I submit myself fully to you. I I am a vessel for you. And may the words that come out of my mouth be an accurate representation of your love. And may they be an encouragement to the people you love. I pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Man. And so how do we receive revelation and inspiration from our heavenly father? Like what practically might you and I do that we can move from feeling meh all the way to feeling motivated? Well, the answer to our questions, they're revealed in a conversation that Luke recorded concerning Jesus and a certain class of people. And so we have to get a firm grasp on this class of people and understand who they were and how they conducted themselves. And that's going to help us best understand what Jesus actually taught. And so in order to understand this class of people in this conversation, let me ask you guys, all right, how many of y'all can identify or how many of y'all know who this guy is? Anybody? So in the live action comic book television show known as The Boys, and let me just say, I am in no way advocating that you guys watch this show, just using it as an example. All right, this Superman-esque character, he's named Homelander. And much like all the honorable virtues that we admire and appreciate about Superman, In Homelander's world, in his universe, he is wildly popular, celebrated, and appreciated by the public because outwardly, he represents all that is good. He's outwardly sincere. He's outwardly modest. And, you know, this guy is a Boy Scout slash, you know, God-fearing patriot kind of person, outwardly. But what we come to realize in the show, what's eventually revealed is that behind closed doors and privately, He's a jerk. He's a self-interested. He is a self-preserving, self-protecting kind of guy who, if you are dying and need saving, if there are no news cameras around to boost his brand and his reputation, he's going to let you die. It's an inconvenience for him. Or if you're somebody who gets in his way of his quest for power and his quest for wealth, well, he has no problem killing you. And so, Homelander, all right, in the way that he outwardly represents all that is good, but inwardly, privately, is a self-interested kind of jerk who only cares about wealth and power. Well, such was the same for that certain class of people that Jesus was engaged in a conversation with that we're going to explore here momentarily. So here's what I mean, okay? And y'all do not miss this, all right? Because these next few moments in exploring this class of people, it is critical to the remainder of our conversation. All right, so the name for this group of people, They're known as the Pharisees. And this name Pharisee, it literally translates to separatist. All right, these people separated themselves from the rest of society because they scrutinized the Jewish scriptures, which we call our Old Testament, and they gave their own meaning, their own interpretation to them. And according to their own interpretations, well, they lived out meticulously and they performed what was required in their laws. And then they elevated themselves and they appointed themselves as sort of God's prophets to the people. And they considered themselves wiser and more educated than others. And so they were folks who would aggressively shut up and shut down 
any opposing perspective that they may have had. Now, they were wildly, wildly popular among the people. But like Homelander, we discover that they were actually pretty self-interested, that they really didn't care for the people that were entrusted to them. And what we discover is that they were actually very greedy. They were lovers of money. They loved being applauded and praised. God himself, Jesus, even said that they needed their hearts and their minds to be cleansed. And so they had no empathy, no regard for other people. And now us having an idea of just how highly and how narcissistic these guys were, these Pharisees were, now we can enter into and examine Jesus's conversation with them. And so where we pick up in that conversation, here's what had been going down. All right, so God, Jesus, had revealed himself on earth and began his earthly ministry. And for three years, he had gone about the eastern Mediterranean region proclaiming that God's presence and his peace and his power had arrived on earth. And so knowing these Pharisees and they followed him everywhere, refuting and debating Jesus, they likely thought to himself like, dude, it's been three years. Where's this supposed presence? Where's this supposed power of God? Where is this peace? Because surely we are going to be the first people that actually experience it. Here's how Luke recorded that exchange, the beginning of it. Jesus was asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come. And how Jesus responded to their question, it actually helps us answer our questions about how we receive inspiration and revelation from our heavenly father, how we move from meh to feeling motivated. Now, Because of the interpretations that these Pharisees had inherited and because of what they wanted in their hearts, their own biases, these guys had a preconceived paradigm. They had certain expectations already formed in their mind, a schema of what the kingdom of God would look like when it arrived and what the God King, the Messiah would look like. And so in their minds, they felt that when this God king that was promised in their Jewish scriptures arrived on earth, that he would come in power and that he would wage war against their enemies like the Roman Empire and that he would establish a literal physical kingdom on this earth. Now, let's pause for just a moment because I want to be abundantly clear with you all tribe that I absolutely believe that one day the promised God king, the Messiah, will in fact establish a literal physical kingdom on this earth. He literally physically will reign. We looked at that a lot last year in our journey through the letter known as Revelation, right? That's the millennial kingdom. Jesus will reign for a thousand years. But what the Pharisees, according to their interpretations, missed was how the Messiah would begin to reign on this earth. And so how Jesus responded to their question, it actually went over their heads completely. You see, what Jesus explained is that God's plan to establish his earthly reign, it would begin by first changing people's hearts and minds from within. Before Jesus would physically reign over humanity, his invisible spirit would first take up residence in folks who accepted him and trusted him as Messiah. He would indwell them. And so Jesus essentially said to the Pharisees, and he essentially says to you and me, is y'all, our father's teaching. His reminders, his testimony or evidence of his existence, his convicting and correction, his guidance, his speech, his declarations to you, his reign over our lives. It will begin first by my pouring out my spirit into you and you accept me as the one true God. Jesus said it this way to 
the Pharisees. He said, the kingdom of God, it's not coming with something that's observable. It's invisible. And so no one will say, see here or there for you see. That's a pretty funny play on words. The kingdom of God, God's presence, it comes from within. Hebraically, they would have understand it comes from within. God's presence is in your midst. And so just a quick sidebar comment here. But Jesus repeatedly demonstrates through the biographies that were written about him, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and his encounters with the Pharisees. What it teaches us is that I can go to seminary and I can get a doctorate and you can go to seminary and get a doctorate in Old Testament studies. And you can have been raised up in church and you could have heard countless sermons about the Old Testament stories and you could have learned the songs about Father Abraham and Joseph's coat of many colors. We could have inherited all that and we can still miss what God is trying to communicate in the Old Testament. So we need an interpreter. Thus, God left heaven, came as a baby to reveal himself. Jesus said that he reveals the father. Anyone who sees him has seen the father. So if you want to perfectly interpret what the Old Testament is trying to communicate, we need to go first to the perfect interpreter, Jesus. Everything that we believe and understand, whether it's our understanding of the Father, our understanding about prayer, understanding of the end times, must first go through what God himself, Jesus, revealed, what he taught, how he lived. And it goes through the filter of who, uh, how he was through his death, his resurrection, the power of his resurrection, and the generosity of the pouring out his spirit. That is our filter. We call that Jesus centered theology. And so for those of you who've grown up in church, you inherited a certain understanding about the faith. Those of you who are brand new to city tribe, you're exploring what faith is all about faith in Jesus. I encourage you. We always encourage you start in the biographies about Jesus. Start in the gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. We've got to get an understanding of who God is and how God is by how Jesus revealed him. Does that make sense to you guys? Yes. Jesus is the perfect interpretation of the old Testament. We've got to start with him. Now, and sidebar comment. All right, let's go back to what Jesus was trying to communicate to us about this invisible kingdom that's in our midst. What this means for you and what this means for me, what this means for every single one of us is that we all can experience God, God's activity in our lives every moment of every day right now. It means by Jesus taking up residence within us, transforming our hearts and minds by his indwelling spirit, that you can receive his wisdom and his counsel. You can receive his declarations and his guidance. You and I don't have to wait until his literal physical kingdom is established on this earth. No. So if you are feeling lost and needing direction, if you are feeling meh, wanting to be motivated, we can experience Jesus right now. His presence is where? In our midst, his spirit that indwells us when we believe in him. And so, invisible king being in our midst, those of you who are joining us digitally, I want you to type in the chat. I want you to put it in the comments. Those of, who, those of you who are here physically, I want you to tell someone next to you, the king is in your midst right now. You got to emphasize right now, the king is in your midst right now. And so, if the king is in our midst right now, how might you and I be more likely to receive whatever it is he wants to reveal to us? How do we get that fresh inspiration? How do we tune in to clearly hear from him? Well, we learn how we can hear from Jesus and from God and 
how we actually begin to receive through a story that Jesus told that Luke recorded next. And in Jesus's fictional story, here's what he did. He introduced two characters. And the first character you all already have some familiarity with. We spent a few moments understanding what this character is. Jesus introduced a Pharisee. And then this second character that Jesus next introduced, I do want to spend some time in the same way we did with the Pharisee, building up context for who this person is, all right? And so this person, and again, I promise you, this connects to the scriptures, all right? I'm going to go with an illustration here. He reminds me of a movie that I referenced a couple of weeks ago on Christmas Eve, Ip Man, all right? It's top of mind. That's why I keep going back to it, all right? So in this movie, there was a character named Li Zhao. And Li Zhao, he was this very proud Chinese policeman for his home village, Foshan. And eventually what happens is the Japanese Imperial Army invades Foshan, the Foshan village, and they take captive all the Chinese and they force them to work in slave labor in mines and they cut off supply lines so that they weren't able to eat food and they were all starving and they confiscated these Chinese people's homes and took over them so they can operate out of them and they confiscated all of their possessions and seized them. I mean, they created a horrible living condition for the Chinese, but Li Zhao, this former policeman, in order to simply survive, he aligns himself with the enemy, with the Japanese. And he becomes for them a sort of liaison between them and the Chinese, and he becomes an interpreter working for them, working against his fellow Chinese. And so imagine, well, here's some more context to that. Uh, Li Zhao, and working for them, he is compensated incredibly well, right? They make sure he and his family live pretty lavishly. He dresses really dapper. They're never wanting or lacking of food whatsoever. He's got a comfortable life. And so imagine you guys are Li Zhao's friends. You're working in the coal mines, right? You're slave labor. You're hungry and starving. If you ran into Li Zhao and you saw them, how would you feel towards him? You'd be pretty pissed off. Exactly. You know, like you would say, this guy is detestable. He is such a self-interested jerk. I hate this guy. What a scum of society. How dare he betray us? And that's exactly what they felt towards him. You probably see that slap in the video, right? That's how they felt towards him. But what we also come to find out is that Li Zhao felt the exact same way about himself, despite his wealth that he had acquired, despite his position working for the Japanese and the safety that they offered him, he hated himself. He was disgusted for who he had become and how he had betrayed his own people. And so he was filled with shame and he actually felt all alone. And so in the same way that Li Zhao is depicted in this movie, the same sentiments toward Jesus's next character and the same sentiments Jesus's character felt is what we are trying to capture in Jesus's story. You see, in the first century, Jewish tax collectors were much like Li Zhao. They were viewed and felt similar to him. Jewish tax collectors, they worked on behalf of the enemy, the Roman Empire. And so their job on behalf of the Roman Empire was to go to their fellow Jews and they would seize their properties. They would seize their hard-earned wages at their expense. And so, you know, Jews, they would look at their fellow Jews who had become tax collectors and had aligned with the enemy. And they would say, dude, you are the scum of society. You are despicable. They would have hated. They would have detested that person. And so it's not inconceivable to consider that like Li Zhao felt about himself, that tax collectors, Jewish tax collectors felt the exact same. That they were ashamed of who they become, that they were ashamed of how they had betrayed their fellow people. 
they felt all alone. And it's also conceivable that they considered that God had abandoned them. And they would not be able to experience the kingdom that was in their midst. And so us having an understanding now of this second character, here's how Jesus set up his story. He said, two men went up to the temple to pray. One, this homelander-like individual, a Pharisee, and the other, a Li Zhao kind of like character, a tax collector. And so that we understand very clearly, as best as possible, how we can tune into what God is trying to reveal to us. I want us to break down Jesus's story on how he described his two characters. Okay, so on one hand, we've got the Pharisee. And this Pharisee, as you guys know, pretty pompous, chest out, very arrogant, proud of all that he has accomplished, in no way needs God's activity or involvement in his life, feels very secure and assured that he's going to experience the kingdom of heaven. Doesn't need God. And so with that arrogance, he says something that is incredibly bold that I pray I never get to that point. And I pray our folks who are volunteers, our prayer team, our worship leaders, that we have to guard against saying this. Listen to what he said. He said, God, I thank you. I'm not like the other people. I'm not greedy, unrighteous, adulterers, or even like this despicable tax collector. I mean, look how spiritual I am. I fast twice a week and I give a tenth of everything that I get. Now, let's contrast this with the second character. All right, this Li Zhao kind of tax collector who understood the mistreatment and the harm that he had caused upon other people and he was grieved by it. And he understood that there was potential that without God's intervention and God's involvement and God's activity in his life, that he would miss out on God's presence and God's peace. And so he welcomed God. He welcomed God's intervention. And here is what the tax collector said. He said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And so here's a, a question for you all. And those of you joining us online, I want to see your response in the chat or in the comments. Those of you who are here Physically, I want you to shout it out in just a moment when I tell you to, all right? So here's my question for you. Among the two characters that Jesus introduced in his story, who do you think is more likely to experience our Father's presence, his activity, his involvement in our lives, all right? So the person who made up his own interpretation of God's laws and principles and had no concern for other people who did not need God's intervention in his life because he was assured about himself? Homelander slash Pharisee, eh? Or the person who was aware that he needed God's intervention and he welcomed God's involvement and activity, Li Zhao and uh, tax collector kind of person, B. All right, so let me hear it from you guys. Let me see it in the chat. A or B? Who's more likely to experience God's presence? B, exactly. So yes, kudos to you guys. 100 gold star. Here's what Jesus said and how Jesus answered it not only tells us that this person will one day be raised up to experience God's presence in eternity, but it tells us that this person can experience God's presence right here in the midst of what's going on in our world. Jesus said, he said, I tell you, the tax collector went down to his house, innocent and blameless, someone who would receive intimacy with the heavenly father gathered back into oneness with the father rather than the other, the Pharisee. Because everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, brought low. But the one who brings himself low recognizes his dependence on God and his intervention and involvement in his life. That person will be exalted. That person will be raised up and can experience God's 
presence. And so according to God himself, Jesus, you and I, we are more likely to be attentive to our father's activity and his involvement in our lives when we approach him like the tax collector, the person who understood that he needed God's intervention and he welcomed God's involvement. And we, according to Jesus, are less likely to experience God's presence. And we are less likely to receive what the father wants to reveal if we approach him arrogantly, chest out and proud, no concern for other people and greedy for money. Following me? And so, just a a word of caution for you guys. Because it's happened to me. All right, there may come a time in life where a few folks might come up to you and they might say, I got a message, an upload from our Heavenly Father, and He wants me to give it to you. Word of caution if that individual is like Homelander, an arrogant, attention seeking, loves the praise and the applaud kind of person, be very cautious as to what you allow to enter your heart and mind. Because as we've seen from God himself in this story, that person is very likely not hearing clearly from the Holy Spirit, hearing from God residing within, if God is even residing within that person. They are more than likely telling you their interpretation of what they want you to believe. They're trying to manipulate you into what they want you to do and how they want you to think. So one of the things you can do is what I do. Anytime someone says, I got a word for you, I got a message for you, I take it through our City Tribe prayer team. And I have multiple people discern whether or not this message is in fact from God or is it coming from this homelander Pharisee kind of person. Now on the flip side, if somebody comes up to you and they're a lot like Gideon, right, just joyful and playful, you should consider maybe, and of course take it to the prayer team, that could potentially be coming from God. All right, so just be very cautious about that. Now, the question is why? Why is that though? Like, why is God more likely, our Heavenly Father, more likely to speak through or reveal himself to somebody who's like the tax collector and not the Pharisee who studied and scoured the scriptures? Well, how Luke next, or what Luke next wrote, and this is so masterful, right? This is why we got to read the scriptures, not just like one verse at a time, but the entirety is so masterful. He connects this next story of what Jesus next said and what Jesus next said that Luke recorded. It reminds me of what comes so naturally for my now two-year-old daughter, Zoe. And so right now where Zoe is in her development stage, right? Billions of neurons firing off in her head, trying to make, you know, process under and understand what's going on in the world, make sense of it. I noticed that Zoe very rarely when she communicates with me, very rarely makes statements. She very rarely makes declarations. And what she does more often than not when we're communicating is she asks me a ton of questions. Like everything I noticed was coming out of her mouth is a question. Well, right now she sleeps on the bed between my wife, Christine and I. And one night she just could not sleep. She had the wiggles and she was cracking us up, right? She was just asking all these questions. And so I started to jot down some of the questions that she was asking us. And I wanted to share with you a couple of those that she bombarded us with. And y'all, I'm telling you right now, it was like within 90 seconds or two minutes and she was just firing these off. And so here's what she said. She said, what's a brain? What's a computer in the body? Can I see your boo-boo? And then my wife was like cleaning out the baby's nostrils. And she said, can I see it? What is it? And then, you know, considering concerning this booger, you know, this is a frightening question. She said, where did it go? 
<laughs> Are you finding another one? Did you got one? Is this your finger? What's this right here? Is this your ear? Why is it nine o'clock? What is eight o'clock? Is it morning yet? Is that your face? Where are you, dad? Where? Who's moving? Why are you moving? I'm going to keep you forever because you're my best friend. And then, I kid you not, every single morning, at least right now, without fail, the very first words out of her mouth when she wakes up and looks at me are these. She says, Dad, you want to play with me? Very first words. And those of you who have been around children, you know that such is the nature of a child, right? There's just so much about life that our children don't yet comprehend that they just cannot yet fully process. And so they're naturally curious. And so without shame and without hesitation, what do they do? They bombard you question after question after question. And because you are a loving adult, a loving parent who's investing in them, more often than not, they will accept what you have to say as truth, right? Because they trust you and they're receptive to receptive to you and they're welcoming of you to be involved in their lives. And so children, they just want to enjoy life with us. They see life as an adventure that they do not want to do alone. Am I right about that? Now, here's what's fascinating about this. And so author Warren Berger, in his book titled A More Beautiful Question, he cites several studies that have been done through various cultures throughout the world, and they all repeatedly have very similar results. And so on average, when you're a preschool age, and when I was preschool age, what we would do is ask about 100 questions every single day. But by the time that I arrived into middle school, and by the time you arrived into middle school, that number dropped drastically to practically none. And by the time that we have reached high school, what happens for us is that our brains are almost shut off to any new sorts of possibilities. We create these paradigms about the world and we set up these certain schemas about how it is and how it is going to be. And so, not coincidentally, he graphed out this, what social scientists call the questioning cliff, like when people stop asking questions. And it correlates to when people begin to start losing motivation. When we stop asking questions, we become, or we, we move from being motivated to feeling, eh. And I wonder, perhaps this is what happened with the know-it-all Pharisees. You know, perhaps because they had deemed themselves so wise that they had closed their hearts and minds off to possibilities about who God is and how God is and how his kingdom would arrive on earth, right? And so it's not so much that our heavenly father was cutting off communication with them, that he wasn't trying to speak to them. What happened was they just weren't receptive to how he was actively communicating with them through Jesus. And I wonder, is it possible that the same is true for you and me? Maybe the reason we're so uninspired and feeling a little meh is because we've closed off our hearts and minds to new possibilities. We stopped being curious. We stopped asking questions. We created this paradigm. We put our heavenly father in a box as to how he is and how he operates. See, what we learn from Jesus is that our father is actively speaking to us. And hearing from him what he has to say, it's partly a matter of whether or not we're approaching him with curiosity or if we're approaching him with a closed mind, closed off to new possibilities. In fact, what Jesus next said is why I believe 
that we have to approach our heavenly father every single day in a similar manner to what my daughter does to me when she wakes up and says, dad, do you want to play with me? Because Jesus was in effect saying to his disciples and he was in effect saying to you and to me, y'all, I absolutely want to play with you. I absolutely want to be in this adventure of life with you. I want to be active in your life. But because I love you, because I honor you, I will not intrude. I honor your free will, so I will not impose my intimacy with you. I will not impose my involvement without you welcoming it. Here's how Jesus said it. He said, let the little children come to me. And don't stop them because the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God rather belongs to such as these truly. I tell you. And when Jesus says, truly, I tell you, you had better pay attention. He says, whoever does not accept me as a family member does not receive the kingdom of God is like a little or like a little child will never enter it. And this word enter, it's not like a physical transition from one place to another. This word enter Hebraically is like a father. The the picture that it communicates is like a father with his arms open wide, ready to receive his child and embrace that child. You will not experience the intimacy with our heavenly father. You do not receive him like a dependent child. And Jesus had previously alluded to this idea that we are more likely to receive what the father wants to reveal when we're dependent on him for wisdom. And when we welcome him, when we're not self inflated and greedy and have no concern for other people, Jesus said it this way with excitement. He shouted at the top of his lungs. I praise you, father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these kingdom truths from the arrogant and the narcissist, the wise and the intelligent. And you have revealed them to who to infants. People who welcome God's involvement and activity in their lives. Yes, Father, because oh, this is how we know he delights in this, because this was your good pleasure. And so let's recap really quickly. Final stretch here. Here's what we've learned so far. Jesus is at work establishing his kingdom through his invisible kingship, through an unobservable spirit. Right? And we can experience Jesus' teachings and his reminders, the evidence of his existence, correcting and conviction and guidance and speech and declarations from his spirit that resides in us when we believe in him from his indwelling spirit. And we're less likely to receive revelation, to hear from his spirit if we're self-interested, if we're greedy, if we have no concern for other people like the Pharisees. We are more likely to receive revelation and inspiration if we approach him like the tax collector who welcomed his involvement and was dependent on God's intervention in life. And we are more likely to receive revelation and inspiration when we acknowledge that we don't know everything. And so we curiously bombard our heavenly father with questions. And we learned that it's God's delight. It is his good pleasure to reveal to us his truths, his affection and his affirmations. And so here's my invitation to you all. Here's what I'm challenging all of you to join me in doing beginning today based on what God himself, Jesus taught. We should welcome. And it's sort of our idea to internalize. Let's Welcome our father like a curious child. Let's welcome our heavenly father's involvement in our lives every single day, being dependent on him like a curious child. And so here are a couple of ways to do that. All right. Just two. Number one, I encourage you like my daughter Zoe does. When you wake up every single morning, may the first words that come out of your mouth be with enthusiasm and expectation, a prayer, something along these lines, dad. Do you want to play with me? 
So I want us to practice that together. All right, on the count of three, in just a moment, we're going to say this with enthusiasm and expectation. Dad, do you want to play with me? All right, so here we go. Y'all ready? One, two, three. Dad, do you want to play with me? And now number two. All right, whenever you begin praying, I encourage you to bombard our Heavenly Father with a bunch of questions. Right? Don't just come to him with statements and declarations, but ask him, come to him curiously. He's the creator of all things, heaven, and he knows a thing or two. And then listen and be attentive to what he has to say. He might not answer in that moment. It might take 18 months or something like that, but just continue with that curiosity. And when you read the scriptures, don't just highlight, don't just underline, don't just circle, don't just write your commentary on the side, but have a prayer journal and write your questions. And let me show you a template of three questions that I typically use, and they actually help inform the sermons that I preach. All right, three questions. Why? What if? And how? When you're reading the scriptures or where you're praying, why? God, why? Why do you want me to do this? Why don't you want me to do this? What if? God, what if I don't do this? What if I do do this? if you did it for me and how or practically how can I do this or how do you want me to do this with somebody else how is this even possible so we've got to welcome our father like a curious child and here's what's so fascinating all right the research shows when we simply ask questions, just four minutes out of the day. Okay, this is beautiful, man. This is God's beautiful design. He knows what he's doing. When we ask questions just four minutes out of the day, the research shows that people move from meh to feeling a little more motivated. And so we've got to do this. And so those of you who came into the cameo, you were given something to write with. And those of you joining us digitally, we asked you to grab something to write with. And here's what we're going to do over the next few moments. We are going to practice. Our band is going to lead us in a song called Like a Child or Like Little Children. And I encourage you to welcome our Father's involvement in your life. Ask him whatever questions you might have. Put it on that card that you got. And we're not going to read them. They're just between you and him. You can take it home. And so you can stay seated. You can stand up. You can come to the front and kneel. You can put your hands up, hands out. However you feel you want to welcome the Father, let's do it like curious little children. Shallow water, cause you'll need to jump. 
Father, we thank you that you sent your son Jesus to reveal who you are and how you are to be our interpreter of what it is you want for us and what you have written for us, Lord. And God, we thank you that he poured out his spirit so that whenever we believe in him, he takes up residence within us. We thank you that he is the king that is in our midst. Thank you that we from you that it is your delight to speak to us to reveal to us the truth and your affection so my prayer is that you would help us by your spirit be forever reminded to approach you as curious children and to welcome you into every activity in our lives lord will you play with us i pray all of this in jesus name and everyone who agreed said amen Well, brothers and sisters, next weekend we kick off a new collection of conversations, a new series of sermons called Peace Practices with our lead teaching pastor, Doug Robbins. We hope you will be back with us. And with that, go ahead and stand. Let me speak a benediction over you. You will be dismissed. Brothers and sisters, may you approach our heavenly father like a curious child dependent on him to teach you and to guide you. And may you remember to ask him every single morning, dad, do you want to play with me? Go and have an adventure. We're glad you were a part of the tribe today. To further connect with us, check the City Tribe YouTube channel, iTunes, SoundCloud, Instagram, Facebook, or our website, citytribe.church. May you go from this podcast knowing that you are loved.